You probably never heard of Robert Pudgy Walsh, but you should. Pudgy was the Newt Rock near Brooklyn. As the coach of the Brooklyn Mariners, Pudgy led his team to four national championships and 622 wins. Pudgy won more games than any college or pro football coach in America, and we spent a season covering his every move. We meet in Marine Park, deep in southern Brooklyn, at the Mariner Inn, a low-key street corner bar that serves as Pudgy's office. It's off the beaten path, a hall from the bright lights of midtown Manhattan. When I walk through the inn's door, I pass a display of Mariner's photos, which cover the bar's wood-paneled walls. In the empty back room of the bar, I take a seat across from the Mariner's legendary coach, and we get down to it. I want to be a Mariner. Pudgy, a 66-year-old retired firefighter and a leprechaun of a man, eyes my solid but relatively almost 5-foot-10-inch frame. I'm more stubborn than strong. You want to get killed, shouts back Pudgy, whose voice one reporter described as a cross between a Vienna choir boy and Bruce Springsteen. Eventually, we reach disagreement. If I agree to be the team's press relations representative, I can be on the team. I aspired to be a flanker. I wound up being a flack. Nevertheless, I'm on the team. The meeting is a touchdown. In late spring, I show up for preseason practice at Kings Bay Field, the Mariners' home turf, adjacent to a massive fortress, which I'm told is a sewage facility. While I have had minimal experience, most of the hundred or so hopefuls had played some sort of organized ball. Over the years, Mariners had played in professional leagues, like the now-defunct USFL, the CFL in Canada, and one of the professional indoor leagues. As far as the grandest stage, a few Mariners had made it to training camp, and a handful even played during the NFL's 1988 strike season. However, no Mariner has ever stepped on the field during an official NFL game. Now on the eve of another new season... A few of the Mariners' pro football aspirations have been revitalized. As for the others, probably the vast majority, they're not making a career move by playing for the Mariners. They just want to play some ball and knock heads, not necessarily in that order. Throughout the summer, we practice under Kings Bay's lights every Wednesday night. Practice is supposed to start at 8, but it usually gets going around 8.30. Attendance is encouraged, but not required. No one is getting a cent to play, and everyone has a job or is trying to get one. Mariners work as cops, salesmen, computer engineers, firemen, finance guys, bartenders, and cable guys, among other things. One guy works as a stripper. Another is a caddy. Practices are mostly low-key casual affairs, with the team practicing formations and running plays. Contact is absolutely forbidden. No one can risk injury. If there's an injury, it's going to happen during an actual game. There's no Mariners team physician. In the teeth department, however, we're all set. The Mariners have a dentist, or rather someone training to be a dentist on the roster. Also, before joining the fire department, Pudgy was a naval dental technician, and after serving, he sold dental supplies. Into the summer, we sprint and do calisthenics, no pads. I dance around cones and crash into waiting, blocking dummies with everything I've got. Unfortunately, I'm quicker with ideas than my feet. While I work out, I hear a voice that sounds vaguely like a Vienna choir boy's. Keep your head up, Plimpton, Pudgy mutters. While I don't really have a position, I do have a nickname. With increasing frequency, Pudgy refers to me as Plimpton. 
as in George Plimpton, the journalist who wrote Paper Lion, the book that chronicles his attempt to play for the Detroit Lions. Plimpton's exploits had always resonated with me, and they offered a secondary plan. If my athletic ability wasn't quite there, I could always get on a team by writing about it. Until the mariner and bartender compared me to Plimpton, Pudgy had never heard of him. Now, Pudgy's taken with the name, specifically with the way it sounds, and he can't keep himself from saying it. I'm not alone in my dream of playing football. Caesar, a former semi-pro soccer player from Romania, wants to make the Mariners as a kicker. At the end of one practice, Caesar boots balls through the goalposts as the teams look on, a ritual that Pudgy often uses to finish up on a light note. After each successful try, Pudgy orders Caesar to back up and kick from a greater distance. Think that Romania is playing for the World Cup, yells Pudgy. If your leg falls off, I'll sew it back on. No doubt, Pudgy doesn't shy away from the theatrical. In fact, Pudgy had a small role in a Woody Allen movie, Broadway Danny Rose. Unfortunately, his scene didn't make it into the film's final cut. Now Pudgy is so enthused by Caesar's success, his limp seems to disappear. As he hustles around the field with his slight hunch, Pudgy has to watch his every step because there's an obscure ditch or two or three somewhere on the field. Eventually, Caesar lines up for a 50-yarder. Meanwhile, Pudgy does play-by-play. We're playing the Marlboro Shamrocks, Pudgy Bellows, referring to the Mariners' arch-rival, the league's defending champions, who hail from just outside Boston and seem to win national championships like baseball cards. An East Coast semi-pro ball, Brooklyn Mariners and Marlboro Shamrocks is the equivalent of Yankees and Red Sox, USC and UCLA, Michigan and Ohio State. It's November 23rd, and there's seven seconds left. Some Irish cocksucker is trying to take your head off, yells Pudgy. Caesar misses. As promising as Caesar is, Pudgy finds a kicker who is even stronger, a former college All-American from out of nearby St. John's University. Before he tore his ACL, All-American was recruited by big-time powers, such as Syracuse and the University of Virginia. Even now, he's still getting looks from the NFL. Just weeks ago, the Giants gave him an informal tryout. He often comes to practice with his father, a diminutive man who quietly lurks around the practice field. Some of the players refer to All-American's father as Gower Premian, the former Miami Dolphins kicker of Armenian descent, who was slow to pick up the customs of the game. With the kicker position solidified, Pudgy turns his attention to other areas, specifically the quarterback slot. Just days before the season opener, Pudgy hits the recruiting trail, something that he revels and finds success in. Pudgy claims that he'll go into a ladies' room to find a decent ball player. Fortunately, everyone is spared this indignity because a New Jersey club folds, which is all too often the norm for fledgling semi-pro football squads. Pudgy snaps up the disbanded team's nucleus, including their quarterback, Jay, a flutiest professional indoor league veteran who could throw a 75-yard spiral on the run. Jay played his college ball at SC, except it's not Southern Cal. Southern Connecticut provides a steady number of players for Pudgy. Ultimately, the Brooklyn Mariners roster is comprised of all-stars from throughout New York City and its surrounding areas. I'd be surprised if a quarter of the players are actually from Brooklyn. Throughout the preseason, Pudgy attempts to keep us humble, as well as motivated by dressing us down. I got more cheerleaders than football players, Pudgy growls at one point. As he adds players, Pudgy cuts others, walking up to guys after practice, informing them that their services are no longer required. 
As the first game approaches, Pudgy refused to commit to a definite roster, preferring to keep everyone on edge. If you don't go to the game, that does not mean that you're not on the team, announces Pudgy after one preseason practice. If you go, that does not mean that you're on the team. That could be the last trip you ever take. A week later, we're off to Pennsylvania for the opener. On the bus, the guys have on fellow flicks like State of Grace and Christopher Walken's King of New York. No one really watches. We've seen these movies a million times. Meanwhile, in the front, Pudgy counsels All-American on potential professional opportunities. By his own admission, Pudgy's forte is not strategy. Pudgy, whose playing experience is solely Sandlot, brings enthusiasm to the table and makes the Mariners happen through sheer will. He gets the field, the zebras, the uniforms, and most important, the talent. Players he refers to as the studs. Guys that show up and blow guys off the line of scrimmage because that's what they do. Consequently, the Mariners don't lose much. In 1991, they won the semi-pro national championship and they seem to always be in contention for the title. More than two hours later, we arrive just as the sun is going down. Spirits are high as we dress in the open, adjacent to the field. It's actually a rugby field, ironic because Johnny, Pudgy's son, is off at an important rugby tournament and won't be suiting up. In fact, many of Pudgy's studs aren't present for tonight's game, which no one seems too concerned about. McGee, the longtime Mariners running back, one of the few Brooklyn natives on the team, is in the lineup and gets taped on a fold-out table. Undersized with a crew cut, McGee toes around opponents with the grace of a ballerina and runs into them with the ferocity of a sledgehammer. While McGee is a punishing violent force on the field, he is a calming influence off it. As the team's unofficial therapist, he's often encouraging backups and constantly counseling the irascible Pudgy. When Pudgy is red-faced and screaming at the tops of his lungs, which is quite often, McGee gently places his arm on the coach's back and massages him with soothing words. This early evening, McGee is concerned about Pudgy's excessive drinking, a conversation Pudgy wants no part of. I drink red wine, snaps Pudgy. As the game unfolds, we're in disarray, looking nothing like a team that'll make a national title run. We fumble twice. Jay throws two interceptions. All-American attempts a long field goal, but the moose malfunction. An opposing player shoots right up the middle, and the attempt is blocked. At the end of the first quarter, we're down 19-0, and the sideline contingent is downright maudlin. I'm too old for this, grouses Pudgy solemnly, sounding as if he's about to announce his retirement at halftime. Just months ago, I heard that the New York City Fire Department's football squad forced Pudgy to step down from his post as head coach. This season, no doubt, Pudgy wants to make a statement, show the NYFD what they're missing. This debut, however, is only showing that his team is ill-prepared. A moment after Pudgy's implied retirement, he's back to frantically pacing the sideline, going absolutely ballistic. If I see another helmet on the ground, I'll kick someone in the balls, he roars. At the half, we have life, down by just 10, still very much in it. Behind the rugby goalpost where we dressed, Pudgy addresses us. He's not acting like himself. He's actually quite calm. Win or lose, Pudgy tells us we should keep our heads high, play clean, and leave the field like gentlemen, like mariners. Pudgy then takes a long, deep swig of air and switches modes. Pudgy's placid demeanor was a smokescreen. His raspy voice rises, more pogues than Springsteen. His face contorts and turns practically as red as a mariner's jersey. 
In closing, he exhorts us to run the other team off the field. In the second half, we scratch to within eight points, and it comes down to one last final play on fourth and what seems like forever. Jay throws a stunning 50-yard spiral, hitting the receiver right on his fingertips. After all this, we'll surely get the six, tie the game with a two-point conversion, and All-American will nail one in OT to win it. After all this, for Pudgy, we'll show the guys at the NYFD. But it's not to be. The receiver can't quite bring the ball in, and our euphoria switches to utter disappointment and disgust. Right through his hand, Pudgy growls. We're officially 0-1. On the ride back, I quickly fall asleep. Forgive me. When we stop at a rest stop in the middle of nowhere, I wake up. I'll negotiate, Pudgy says as he steps off the bus. Ten minutes later, Pudgy emerges with an enormous case of Budweiser. I'm a 66-year-old teenager, he mutters. The rest of the ride is anything but celebratory, though. I'm half asleep when I hear Pudgy lamenting the loss of one of his friends, a mariner, I presume. He was 42, recalls Pudgy. He left eight children. Just before the half, we're up big, 19-0. The following week, we're on the road again, just over the water in Hoboken, New Jersey, playing on a less-than-ideal playing surface. It's a concrete, hard, artificial turf field in the middle of a number of construction projects. Also, the field doubles as a baseball diamond, and second base is on the 40-yard line. In the stands, there are about eight people. None of the guys seem too concerned about the opponent, despite the fact that many of Pudgy's studs are AWOL, most conspicuously, Jay. Not surprisingly, this lack of commitment infuriates Pudgy. All year, he works to put a season together, and now the studs don't show. Pudgy seems genuinely hurt. In the back of the end zone, just in front of a construction site, Pudgy addresses us. He thanks us for coming and disparages the no-shows. I'm sick of the triple-A all-star bullshit, he blares before mocking someone's excuse. They got an Aunt Nellie in England who's having an operation and they're waiting for a phone call. A moment later, Pudgy tells us how he was considering forfeiting the game. Of course, that wasn't going to happen. Pudgy doesn't quit. In closing, Pudgy makes this dramatic declaration. We'll dance with who we brung. And dance we do. The no-shows aren't a factor, and the Mariners roll over Hoboken and promptly go on a win streak. Besides the opening game, we haven't lost. Pudgy has his sights on Marlboro more, much more. I'm 66 years old, Pudgy yells after another victory. I might drop dead in December, but before they put me under, I want them to put up another ring on my finger. We continue to win, however, we're also on the brink of unraveling. We're bored with our opponents, so we have to come up with a worthy one, ourselves. Somehow, Pudgy resolves our issues and attempts to unify the team for the season's final stretch. I'm the one who should be frustrated, Pudgy explains to us after a practice, holding his arms out as if he's asking for a life preserver. I'm the only one that doesn't get to hit anyone. After running the tables in the playoffs as expected, the season comes down to longtime Mariners nemesis Marlboro. It's always Marlboro who's had the Mariners number the last few years. They have their own herd of studs and moose. They have the belt. We're merely the challenger. Sunday afternoon, I depart on the team bus. Up front, Pudgy is uncharacteristically silent, staring intently out the window. When we arrive in the small town just outside of Boston, it's drizzling. We always get bad weather up here, grumbles one of the Mariners' coaches. Despite the poor weather, the bleachers are packed with maybe 400 vocal spectators. Before the game, Pudgy is restrained. Have fun out there, he orders. Keep your head in the game. 
By now, I know what Pudgy is truly saying. Knock someone on their ass and get the W. At the half, the contest is 7-7. In the narrow strip between the two rows of players, Pudgy slowly walks up and down, not uttering a word. I've never seen Pudgy this intense. With his mature eyes, the ones that have seen thousands of games, he attempts to look into our souls and deliver this message. Guys, give this old but youthful in-spirit coach this victory. You can do this. Ironically, with this silent pep talk, Pudgy's at his most compelling. Of course, Pudgy doesn't leave it at that. He makes his way to the front and pauses. They're shitting all over themselves. Pudgy finally unleashes, punching his fists in the air. In the second half, we're going to rub it in all over their faces. Yeah, everyone shouts. But it's not to be. Marlboro wins 24-17. Minutes after the game, the bus is back on the road. It's a school night. Yodels are passed out. Pudgy pushes his gallows humor, joking about his medical condition. No one's laughing. After 60 seasons at the age of 82, Robert Pudgy Walsh succumbed to a heart attack in 2016. At his funeral in Marine Park, Pudgy was given FDNY pipes and drums honors. Of course, Pudgy was much more than a great football coach, a devoted husband, father, and firefighter. Robert Pudgy Walsh helped make Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to another Grind and Pivot podcast story. If you like this story and you'd like to read more, please pick up the book Man vs. Ball by John Hart, available on all platforms and Amazon.